everyone, and welcome to the show. This is episode number 37 of Pop Culture Lady Deprived, and today we're going to be talking about seasons 4 through 10 of Doctor Who, minus River Song, on your I Kept Biting Them, They Said You Weren't Real podcast. I'm Mandy Kay. And I'm Matthew Vose. Hey Mandy, how do Daleks keep their skin soft? I don't know, Matthew. How do Daleks keep their skin soft? Exfoliate. <laughs> of course they do. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that reminds me, a friend of mine sent me a picture this week of his favorite coffee mug, and it was a Dalek, and it said, caffeinate, caffeinate. And I've decided I need that mug in my life. Mm. This week, we are picking up after our previous Doctor Who episode, and we kind of already gave you a production and history information of kind of how the new series came to be and how Russell T. Davies pitched the uh, BBC and was able to get the show rebooted. So there's not a ton else to tell, uh, but I thought I would take a minute and at least give you um, the dates of when the Doctors regenerated and how long they were in each cycle because we actually went through all of them this time, which seems impossible, but the list was short because Matthew did not want to watch them all. <laughs> we had 25 episodes to watch. And? <laughs> that was, there that was are a, 10 seasons. That's not a lot of episodes. A lot of TV to fit in for one, one episode of the podcast. Right. Pretty thank, sure thank- I watched all of Farscape. Yeah. All? Which was yeah. 20, 24 episodes per season, and the episodes are shorter than these episodes. But it's fine. I mean, at least we both got to watch all the episodes in readiness for this, right, Mandy? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. 100%. Good. Uh, so this time around, uh, we did not get any Christopher Eccleston. He finished his run uh, just after season one, and so all of his episodes were in our previous Doctor Who episode. Uh, so we started this time with more David Tennant, who is Matthew's very favorite doctor. Right, Matthew? Yes, he's my doctor. <laughs> and he was the doctor uh, for three seasons, seasons two, three, and four, ending in... Uh, Technically, his end date is in 2010, but uh, season four ended in 2008, and then 2009 was a run of specials where Tennant was basically alone because we all know what happened to Donna, and uh, then that ended in, he regenerated into Matt Smith in 2010, who was the doctor for seasons five, six, and seven, and then we got Peter Capaldi for seasons eight, nine, and ten. Apparently these guys like to go in runs of three. That really is the standard, like almost since Doctor Who started. Yeah, I, yeah. I, it looks like it. Tom Baker looks like was seven, mm. but most of them have been three. That's... I, th- I think Colin Baker was shorter. I think they got rid of him fairly quickly. Wikipedia says three. Is he three as well? But it was only eight episodes. No, yeah, I sorry, think, eight yeah, stories. I think was it was like thirty-one a, episodes, eight stories. Yeah, so like it was one two year years ago. Four episodes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So let's get to talking, Matthew. Did you have any expectations? Well, we talked about your expectations at the end of of the last Doctor Who episode. How did this fare? Did did it meet your expectations? It, it was a lot more varied. Um, there's a number of episodes that I think we've come out of where I've gone. Either I've enjoyed the story and some of the stuff going in on it, or I've gone, 
I, I'm not totally sure why I watched that because I, I think it met those expectations of, yes, it's a fairly derivative family show. Um, <laughs> okay. I think, I think that might be nicer than I put it on the last one, but... <laughs> Just a little bit. Um, but there have been some that I've gone, oh, actually, yeah, this is doing some quite clever stuff or some really interesting things. Not particularly about the Doctor. And I think one of the things we're probably going to start with is a discussion about the Doctor. But a lot of the kind of sundry stuff that's gone on, the the meta stories, the the minor characters or lesser characters that they've introduced, have had a lot of very interesting stuff that I've quite enjoyed. Mm -hmm. I want to ask about kind of your experience on this watch. Because Mm. last time you got to see only five episodes that were Christopher Eccleston, Mm -hmm. and then the other 14 or 15 were all David Tennant. And then this time around, you got a handful of David Tennant, a handful of Matt Smith, and a handful of Peter Capaldi. So was your experience this time significantly different? Did it did it feel like the same show? Did it feel like a different show just because things moved a little bit quicker this go-around? Yeah, I, I think I talked last time about how I had a lot of questions as mm-hmm. we started as kind of like, wait, so what's going on there? What's this thing? How do I piece it together? I think I've had more questions this time, but because I've had such large jumps in watching the period. So I've not seen all of the meta story. So obviously we we will be coming to the River Song episodes next time. Um, But I've not seen Clara's origin, and I've not seen a lot of the stuff with Peter Capaldi, uh, except for the very end. I've seen some of Missy, but not huge amounts. So there's a lot there that's intrigued me. And perhaps it might even be once I've finally seen them, I go, it was better being intrigued. (laughs) Oh, once I finally see them, does that mean you're planning on watching even more Doctor Who when we're done? The River Song episodes. Okay, but the River Song episodes don't talk about Clara or Missy. Okay. And you specifically just said (laughs) that you might watch Clara Origin or more about Missy. Uh, I feel like you're trying to skip to the end of the conversation. (laughs) (laughs) No. I just want to know, are you going to watch more Doctor Who? Because you liked it. Really, I just want you to admit that you liked it. Yeah, there are things in here I liked. Yes. But when you when you say to me, like, oh, I'm trying to force you to, to admit this thing, it makes me want to lean into the opposite even harder. You're like, yeah, yes, there's stuff I liked. Let's talk about the stuff I didn't. Yeah, <laughs> and that's yeah, not yeah, fun okay. for anyone. It's It's going to end up with one of us crying, probably me. <laughs> okay fine (sighs) the the comparison between the doctors has been interesting particularly i think coming off our conversation last time about the, the different ways that we saw them what we took away from the performance of the doctor and the way that the different characters were written and they responded to people so i've been i've been looking for as I watch David Tennant, what do I, can I see what Mandy sees in him? What reinforces the way I've seen him? And, and questioning whether I've taken the right judgment on it or not. Um, and in fact, that led me to uh, watch The Waters of Mars last night. So I reached out and asked for people to say, what, what are his more dramatic emotional episodes? So not necessarily the ones where he's doing his arms in the air, jumping around, manic thing. Um, right. Where we actually get to see him emoting and, do- and doing some of the stuff I think you've uh, quite enjoyed from him, really feeling for people and wanting to do stuff. So I wanted to make sure I'd given him a, a fair chance, having then seen other Doctors and gone, ah, I can see it more with this guy, but not with this guy. 
And then it was almost distracting moving into Matt Smith and going, why does this not grate as much as it grated with David Tennant? Or why do I find him a bit more charming? And then even more so with Capaldi. I think both he and Matt Smith, I, I find them easier to watch than David Tennant. Is it an actor choice? Is it something where you just don't enjoy David Tennant and not necessarily just the Doctor? Or is it David Tennant as the Doctor that you don't like? Uh, it's probably a little column A and a little column B. Um, okay. I'm not... I think David Tennant is suited to this role, but his Doctor doesn't appeal to me. And because David Tennant is clearly a very smart, very savvy person, but I don't get warmth from him in anything I've seen him in. So I don't get any of that in this. Okay. Uh, that doesn't come across. The um, premise that I said last time was about some dude having adventures and solving mysteries with um, his friends. Right. I can't remember. How, however I phrased it, it was really good, really witty. <laughs> uh, our friend Kate Gilleran at I Do Human Things, she, she replied to me saying that the way I described Doctor Who sounds like the show House, but with space travel. Therefore, I will now be thinking of the show as Doctor House... Now, that's not a bad way to think about it, because Tennant and Capaldi definitely have this slightly crotchety, everyone's lying and I need to understand and solve the problem because I'm better than everyone else. Right. Yeah, no, I can see that definitely. Definitely a lot of arrogance and a lot of I'm the smartest person in the room Mm. and everybody else just needs to shut up or, you know, catch up with me. So I I thought going and watching... um, Watching Waters of Mars might give me a bit more like, oh, I, I can see him feeling for people. And, and for half the episode, I think I got that with him saying like, yeah, I, I should definitely go. I should not be involved in this because it's all, I'm either going to mess it up or I'm going to die or something. I should leave it be, which I thought was good. And I was enjoying that and I was enjoying the idea of it. And this is you know fairly solid Doctor Who. And then he does decide to go and save him. So I was like, oh, okay. I can see that he's caring about the people here because he can't just watch them. Uh, or just watch them die. Um, so yeah, so he he sees the people dying. He feels bad about it, and he races back in. He's like, and you even get the hero shot: the him in silhouette coming through the door in his spacesuit, looking double hard. Awesome, great. He's going to save the day. But he then starts doing this whole thing about how there's no more time lords. It's only me, and he he actively says. And at that point, I was like. Okay, no. Yeah, he, he wants to beat everything. He wants to overcome every every puzzle, problem, or situation that's put in front of him. Um, and I, I really like the twist at the end of that with, with her killing herself because she understands the ramifications that he is trying to work around. Right. That was very nice. So it kind of bolstered my opinions on him. But knowing that was coming, I was like, oh, okay, yeah, this is him doing his character thing. I'm not, I'm not feeling that dissonance of expecting to see him emoting and being a heroic figure i'm seeing him being what i thought he was right and i mean i did warn you before you watched that one that you weren't gonna if the reason you wanted to watch it was to try and feel better about tenant that wasn't the right episode to watch but it was an important episode for his character arc Mm. at least for the rest of us (laughs) (laughs) maybe not for you because that episode is important because it shows why the doctor should not be alone. Hmm. That's really what the show is trying to tell us in that episode is 
and and there were there were several specials leading up to that um after he had already had to wipe Donna's mind and so you know he had told Wolford he was going to go off on his own that he didn't need anybody and you know he had all of these specials doing things just kind of one-off adventures right and they kind of progressively got more and more intense culminating with the waters of Mars where he decides that he is the answer to everything mm. that he can solve everything that he he has nobody to keep him in check and that's why in the end of time when he's talking to Wilfred and he starts crying and he tells Wilfred traveling alone I thought it was better than But I did some things that went wrong. I need... Oh, my word. <sighs> this is specifically what he was referring to. Okay. Um, and so I think seeing it out of order may have lessened that impact for you. You probably didn't even remember that that was a line and, and put, them to, put those two things together. But from a character-building perspective, it's to show why the doctor needs to have his companions and and why being alone especially when you are literally alone he is as far as he knows in that moment the last time lord on earth <laughs> the last time lord in the universe <laughs> you know and so it just it was intense and it was hard but for you, I think, since you had kind of always seen him as somebody who just always wants to win, you didn't feel that same impact. Hmm. And and I definitely, I appreciated them leaning back on that point when we got to uh, Peter Capaldi. Because when he was first cast, I watched his first episode, Deep Breath, to see what it was like. And it's a mm-hmm. largely ordinary Doctor Who episode. But I thought, oh, I'll watch that again to see if it lands any differently this time. And there is a whole thing with Matt Smith as he's about to regenerate, phoning Clara to tell her, no, don't leave me alone. Things go really bad when you leave me alone. Please, please don't leave right. me alone. Like, and I was like, okay, yeah. yeah, this is coming back to some of the stuff we've seen previously um, and reiterating that point. Right. Mm. Okay. Which I like. I'm happy to hear that. Mm. So we've talked a little bit about David Tennant and a little bit about Capaldi, but not a whole lot about Matt Smith. Is, is, is there anything that you can pinpoint with Matt Smith that made you – take a liking to him more than the disliking that you had of David Tennant? Is there is there something about him that you can point to that, that you can say, oh, he does this better, or I like the way that he portrays this emotion better, or, or something? If, if we're talking actors, and like our experience of actors from other places feeding into something, I should possibly not like Matt Smith. It's, it's slightly weird seeing him with a British accent. Because the thing I've seen him in, he was playing a Manhattan yuppie. Because I saw him uh, playing Patrick Bateman in the American Psycho musical on the West End. Interesting. Mm. I cannot imagine him. Which he was excellent. He rises in the middle of the stage in his underpants. And gives this whole (laughs) speech and then sings a song that has been stuck in my head for like four years since I saw it. It's a really (laughs) good song. I am clean. Now I'm clean. It's really good. Okay. I, I can't picture... I mean, I can picture him rising in his underwear because that's just something that you can. That's yeah. what the doctor would do. But um, <laughs> yeah, okay. I've never... This is the first thing I had ever seen Matt Smith in. Right. And so for me, he's always going to be the doctor first. Mm-hmm. And anytime I see him do anything else, it's weird. <laughs> okay. 
So, really weird. Yeah, the first few episodes, I was a bit like, oh, it's really strange seeing him with a British accent because it looks like he's putting it on. A bit like when you see um, James Masters talking. Oh, yes. Like, no, he doesn't sound like that. That's right. silly. Even more so Alexis Denisov. Yes. Him with an American accent is just so strange. Yes, it is ridiculous <laughs> and weird and should never happen. Why do I think I liked him more, though? I find him a bit more charming and I find him to have a bit more humility. And can I pinpoint something? Yes, I can. In the Day of the Doctor, there's a bit where he starts talking about how it's like cup of soup, but you add time instead of water. No, that's silly. I wish I hadn't said cup of soup. Now, that's, like in, that? that's in writing, but again, it's in the delivery. It's like he knows it's silly. He knows it's kooky and a bit daft. And he's like, no, I shouldn't have gone down that road. You see, Clara, they're stored in the paintings in the undergallery, like cup of soups, except you add time if you can picture that. Nobody could picture that. Forget I said cup of soups. And I go, I go, okay, yeah, he's, he's a bit more savvy about himself and a bit calmer. He's not doing a silly thing and then doubling down on it, trying to make it land or make it be funny, which is a lesson we could all learn. Um. <laughs> okay. I can see that. I think for me, I had a really hard time with Matt Smith at first. Mm. I was so heavily invested in David Tennant that for it to be anybody else, I was going to struggle with it. So it took me, I, the first time I watched this show, I did not like season five. I did not like Matt Smith. I wanted nothing to do with it, but it was Doctor Who, so I was still going to watch it. And it's so weird now because I go back and, uh, you know, we had the 11th hour on the list and I, I watched it and I realized this is really good television and Matt Smith is incredible <laughs> as the doctor. And so it's just, it's so different watching it now than it was the first time through because the first time through, I just wasn't okay with it. Is, is the end of times the end of uh, Russell T Davies as well? Yes. I, I think it does. You can really feel that Stephen Moffat wanted to put some of his own stamp on it and take it in a slightly different direction. So I think that definitely comes into bear, whereas Russell T. Davies was... He was obviously building on four years that he'd done himself, so he was trying to make everything land in those last few episodes, but he had his own baggage that he'd been bringing along and wanting to deal with in the characters he'd been running and the actors he'd been dealing with. So suddenly to have Matt Smith coming in is very much, let's wipe it all away... New theme tune, new budget, new actors, new TARDIS, new everything. Right. And and it is very much a, a restart for the whole thing. That actually makes me want to ask you a question. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because random thoughts just pop into my mm-hmm. head. I think I noticed in your thoughts, uh, one of the episodes that we watched did have the introductory voiceover from Amy. Yeah, yes. Yes, it did. No, you're, you're yes, you are absolutely right. And I was going to talk to you about that. There's there was an episode that had a like space the final frontier, the Doctor Who yes. edition. <laughs> yes, it did. That was the girl who waited, um, which is a season six episode. Okay. And I had to actually go back and look this up because in my memory, I don't know why, but I had remembered Amy doing that voiceover for all of season five and six, but that was incorrect. They put the voiceover in season, sorry, series six, uh, because Matt Smith coming in as the doctor um, in the 11th hour was such a huge jumping off point for new people coming to the show that once they got to season six, they wanted to give it something for people who didn't really know any of the backstory, didn't 
hadn't seen anything. And and so they, they put that in there. And it annoys me to this day. <laughs> it's really strange. And, and because Doctor Who's never had it. So it, it just felt out of place. Right. Well, and also because they, they had Amy do it, they made it sound like the show was about Amy and the Doctor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When I was a little girl, I had an imaginary friend. And when I grew up, he came back. Doctor. He comes from somewhere else. He's got a box called the TARDIS that's bigger on the inside and can travel anywhere in time and space. I ran away with him, and we've been running ever since. And it's not. <laughs> she just happened to be there for that season, you know, and, and so it, it does bother me a little bit, but I can understand why they did that because I think it was when Matt Smith came on um, in 2010, that's really when, like, there was this huge surge of popularity mm. for Doctor Who, at least here in the States. Kind of feel like it was always popular over across the pond. <laughs> yeah, definitely you know? since there, since that point, we have more episodes set in the US, I feel. Oh. Or with moments in the US that, so, well, that I saw on the list. That's interesting because you haven't seen, you've only seen, like, one or two, right? Never yeah. set in the U.S. Yeah, but there will be more. Like, none ever. <laughs> yeah, there will be more uh, next time okay. when we go through River Song story. Because last time you, um, in your production thing, you you found a thing about uh, the pitch that Russell T Davies had done, where he talked about wanting the Doctor to be like your best mate, you could want to go down the pub with, and we're going to throw out all of Doctor Who's backstory except for the good bits. Mm-hmm. I feel like he didn't tell Stephen Moffat that. Because basically from from Matt Smith onwards, they really start pulling things back in and, and aliens that haven't been seen in ages or characters that haven't been seen in ages, references to uh, unit becomes a much bigger thing. We've got, I'm trying to think of other things, well, the Time Lords and some of the backstory of the Time Lords, some of the stuff with the Master. Mm-hmm. It feels like it's leaning more on the pre-Russell T. Davies era. Yes. I think that's Stephen Moffat being Stephen Moffat. Mm. I mean, Stephen Moffat kind of, in my perspective, Stephen Moffat kind of took on this, not quite unlike unlike the way that you see the doctor, (laughs) as this, I am the smartest person in the room and I have all of the answers. Okay. Um, You know, for him, Dr. Hugh and Stephen Moffat kind of became synonymous a little bit during his showrunner years. Mm. And... And honestly, even even during Davies' era, a little bit, Stephen Moffat's scripts were different, mm. and and you could tell they had a slightly different vision than than Davies did. And so I think Moffat just kind of always knew what he wanted, okay. and always knew where he wanted to go, and was just waiting until he could. Yeah, because it. I, I think I know what you're referencing. Things like wanting to explain the thirteen regenerations rule, or mm-hmm. um, explaining what happened in the time war. And and how did uh, Paul McGann become Christopher Eccleston and so on? Right. Except Paul McGann did not become Christopher Eccleston. He became John Hurt. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it, 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 I think I said this last time, but it breaks my heart that Christopher Eccleston did not come back and do that 50th. It would have been a significantly stronger episode. Like, it's a good episode anyway. I mean, I particularly enjoyed that. But if they hadn't had to do the whole thing of like, oh, no, wait, uh, I became a warrior? Doctor? <laughs> so you would have rather not had John Hurt in it at all. Yeah. And it'd be Paul McGann 
becomes Chris Eccleston. And Chris Eccleston is a, uh, you know, keep the idea that he's a warrior rather than a doctor or that his anger helped do that and so on. But it being about his decision leading into Rose and what he does just before we actually meet him for the first time. Mm. I would have liked that. But I, I like Chris Eccleston a lot. I like what he brought to it. I do too, but I really like... I really like John Hurt as the war doctor. I like what he brought. I like... I liked his interaction with Tennant and Smith. You know, things like... Yes. No, no. The sonic would take centuries. Oh, we might as well get started. Help to pass the timey-wimey. Do you have to talk like children? What is it that makes you so ashamed of being a grown-up? Ooh. The way you both look at me, what is that? I'm trying to think of a better word than dread. You know, he's he's constantly talking to them like they're children. Mm. And I don't know that Christopher Eccleston could have pulled that off. And I feel like, at least for the story that we got, we needed that. But you're right, if, if it had been Christopher Eccleston, we would have gotten a different story. Yeah. yeah, Yeah, there is that as well. John Hurt is sublime in that episode. I mean, he's one of the greatest British actors ever. And he is just fabulous because he buys into it and he acts like the Doctor at times, but then at other times he's got that sort of husky, really intense thing going on about the decision he has to make. I think when I'd watched it first time round, I hadn't quite grasped that when Paul McCann becomes John Hurt, he becomes young, young John Hurt. John Hurt spends like hundreds of years fighting the Time War and eventually... It keeps going, and that's when he gets into the no more point. Right. I, I don't think I'd quite gathered that last time. Right. I, I, and you wouldn't unless you had seen that, that special, the, the mini-sode. Oh, I saw the mini-sode, but it's just because of his sort of reflection at the end. He's supposed to look like a young John Hurt. Um, right. Because they described it at the time how he was going to be a Mayfly Doctor, the regeneration that lasted only a short time and so on. It's like, oh, that doesn't yeah. quite fit. But I can also see what they're talking about there. Yeah. But the, the 50th is a good place to, to pick up on the bits of the Doctor that grate on me. Because they're in full flight at times during that episode. The kookiness and the silliness. I, I think that's the only time I've seen so far of Matt Smith grabbing a fez. It will not be the only time that you see the Doctor with a fez. I, I did make a note of like, I think Mandy stopped me from seeing him with a fez. So that I don't have to groan at him all the time. <laughs> not intentionally. Okay. Uh- it will come up later, but I mean, come on, fezzes are cool. And the, the whole, I mean, the kooky thing I, I mentioned, it it doesn't go very far with me. But as I was watching it, we've we've got the introduction. We saw two episodes with River, and we saw a few episodes with Missy, who also have a slight element of kookiness. Missy much more so. She is effectively the Doctor, but with a lot more grey. Grey, I. She's full on dark. Okay. That's a whole other debate. But you know what? You know the point I'm making here. She's yes. basically the Doctor. Uh, okay. And I was like, why does it not grate on me when she twirls around and does accents at people and does little jokey comments at Daleks and so on? And it, it doesn't grate in the same way. And I think it's because the show doesn't pay attention to it. It's just a character trait with her. Whereas when Matt Smith grabs a fez or David Tennant does an arm flappy thing and says something silly like wibbly wobbly timey wimey, the show references it, and it makes a comment about fezzes, or it makes a comment about, oh, that, that line got away from you, what do you actually mean there? And so it feels much more like an affectation rather than a character thing. He's doing it to be 
kooky rather than also being a capable person who has these slightly strange things going on with him. Hmm. Like, I I think I compared him to Lord John Marbury from The West Wing, who is 100% kooky Brit. And the problem there is you don't really see him being capable. He never actually seems to have earned the position he's in. Right. Because he's just doing all this weird stuff all the time. It's like, okay, just for some of it, calm down a bit. Okay, but you're not actually saying that you don't think the Doctor is capable, right? No, but it is also a show called Doctor Who. So we get to see a lot of time with him. The show Lord John Marbury, I think, does have a lot of stuff of him being quite capable. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. See, and I, I'm the opposite of you. I prefer the Doctor's brand of kookiness to Missy's. Missy oh, really? bothers me. Mm-hmm. I intensely disliked Missy when she was first introduced. I Now that I've seen her whole story, I appreciate her more. And where she ended up is a place that I, I hesitate to say like, but I will say she ended up in a place that I liked. Mm. But some of the stories that you didn't get to see in the beginning were this person who we didn't know who she was acting this way. <laughs> and so it just completely grated on my nerves all the time because I couldn't understand why she was the way that she was, who she was, why she was important, how she knew who the doctor was. All I knew was that she was this crazy kind of dark Mary Poppins-esque person. Okay. <laughs> With and the sonic umbrella. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and once they revealed that she was the master, which didn't take very long, okay. really, she got a little better, but she was always just evil. I mean, she kills people willy-nilly. And also, in an episode that you did not see, she killed Osgood. Which automatically put her on my shit list. Okay. (laughs) Because Osgood is fan insertion into Doctor Who. (laughs) Osgood is absolutely a fan surrogate, and I adore her. And uh, Missy killed her, and it was unexpected, and completely broke my heart. And after that, I wanted nothing to do with Missy at all, ever. But then when she came back in... um, Oh, what God, I can't remember episode. The names. Magician's Apprentice. Yes, when she came mm. back in The Magician's Apprentice, and they were trying to figure out what the threat was, what had stopped the planes or whatever, and she, you know, hacked their computers and <laughs> yep. put up the lyrics, "Hey, Missy, you so fine, you so fine, you blow my mind." Hey, Missy, that <laughs> that is the moment that I started to like her. Yeah, I I don't know why I hated her in season eight. And it was in season eight that we found out she was the master. I didn't like her in season nine. Wait, that was season nine. Yes. You're right. I'm right. That was season nine. So I I hated her in season eight, even after we found out who she was. But when she came back in The Magician's Apprentice, there was just something about her. She, I don't know what was different. There was just something about it. but, But that introduction of her character in that episode made me want to know more about her and Mm. made me want to see more of that story. Whereas in previous episodes, which you didn't get to see, because this was the first Missy episode you saw, wasn't it? Yes. I'd seen Deep Breath. And she was just in the very, very end of that one, She's at the end of that one, yeah. And I knew knew she was the master already, because I remember that being in the press as like, this is the big reveal. Right. Mm. So I I don't know what it was about this particular episode that made me like her when I didn't like her throughout. It might Mm -hmm. just be that by this point... She couldn't surprise me anymore. 
like I knew who she was, I knew what she was about, and so that made it okay. Does yeah. that make sense? Mm-hmm. And and basically from here and until the end, I really liked her. I really really liked her chemistry um, with John Sim and and the Doctor and Peter Capaldi all together. Mm-hmm. And uh, towards the end of season ten, I thought that was really great. But her kookiness did not do her any favors to start with. Oh, interesting. And, it, and it, yeah, it might be because I missed the show figuring out how to deal with her. I've only come in and seen her when they're like, oh, okay, got it. Let's do this in this way. Yeah, that's a good That's a good way to put it, I think, is they were still finding their feet with her mm. when they introduced her. And by the time we got to The Magician's Apprentice, it was pretty solid. So that makes a lot of sense. And it's, it's really quite clever because uh, the casting of Peter Capaldi, obviously he's a, a much older doctor than we've had. Certainly a Matt Smith and, and a fair bit older than David Tennant as well. So you can't really do the the love story that we've had with Amy, with Clara, with Martha and Rose and all of them. John Barrowman and who goodness knows who else. <laughs> That's not fair. So you have this also slightly older woman who can flirt with him and you can see that going on with there, but she's also, from what I saw, pitched as the devil on his shoulder where Clara is the angel. But yes. she's a bit more fun as well. <laughs> a bit more fun. I just love Yeah, it. let me just kill these people randomly for no good reason. Just yeah. make sure and, you know I'm still evil. And, and you saying to me that she kills Osgood and it's unexpected, it, it gives me a bit more respect for the show. Because that's, that's one of my complaints, is you know, A, when the Doctor's going to die... Because we've had all this publicity about who's going to be the new Doctor. We generally know when companions are leaving. Because it's reported kind of in the same way. So the show doesn't have a huge amount of capacity for surprise in in its main cast. I know okay. Osgood isn't in the main cast. But she was clearly quite beloved because of the, the fan surrogate thing. Right. So I go, okay, they, they, they actually are prepared to do things to kill the darlings. It was very upsetting. Ah. <laughs> So you say it was a bit unfair of me saying that the uh, the companions are all in love with the Doctor. Um, I've I've particularly enjoyed it when we've had companions who are not romantic interests for him. And, and particularly because that gives them the opportunity to have their own side stories. They are not the story, so they can have a bit of a side mission or a B-plot going on at the same time the Doctor has a thing going on. And in, in the style of awkward writing, sometimes the B-plot influences the A-plot. Uh, I'm referring to The Rings of Akatan. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we've had a few others where there have been a couple of different things going on, so that's been quite nice. Magician's Apprentice and Witches Familiar as well, where you've got the Doctor doing one you know, quite deep emotional thing with Davros, and then you've got Missy and Clara running around having this little side adventure escaping the Daleks. <laughs> I feel like you might be slightly biased on that just because of how many David Tennant episodes you had to watch. Oh, so many. <laughs> <laughs> because, I mean, honestly... Rose is really the only romantic interest that you've seen, that the Doctor had romantic intentions. You know, yes, Martha was in love with the Doctor, but it wasn't mutual. The Doctor had no interest in having that kind of relationship with Martha. Mm. It was never that way for Donna, for either of them with Donna. He was just her best friend. Yeah, I appreciated that. You know, Amy had Rory. They were just friends. I mean, there there may have been some flirtations, and you didn't even really see most of that. But she had Rory. You know, so that wasn't a thing. Clara and Matt Smith definitely looks like a love story. But they weren't. Clara flirted with Matt Smith, but they... 
I don't want to give you any spoilers, but... Okay, well, well, don't, but from what I've seen so far, that's a definite love story. It is definitely not. And you, after we have finished all of the episodes on the list, we can maybe talk about that again. Okay. Definitely not a love story. I think Clara probably did have a crush on him, particularly in uh, episodes that we're not going to watch for the show at all. But it was not. Okay. Not a thing. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm very emphatic about that. Okay. But no, I've, I've quite appreciated it. Uh, like you say, Donna, um, anyone with Capaldi, basically, they're not romantic in either direction. So it gives them a bit more scope for them to be more playful. You don't have to do the undercurrent writing of uh, what does he mean by way, the way he's saying this. And they can each go and do something in the episode. Right. I didn't see much of Donna. Obviously, I saw uh, Silence in the Library and Forest of the Dead. Mm-hmm. And then the whole Journey's End, Dr. Donna thing. And the Unicorn and the Wasp and Planet of the Ood. Yes, true. We added a few in there. We did. Um, I, I do wish you had gotten to see more of Donna, but the list was already so long. Even if she is Catherine Tate. Oh, that hurts my heart. Um, I have to be honest, this is the first thing I ever saw Catherine Tate in. I had no idea who she was. Have you ever seen any of her mm, comedy series? Clip, clip series sketch show is probably the best way i could describe it um i have seen the bit that she did with david Tennant, where okay. he was the teacher and and she was the petulant student right i've seen that one okay. but i saw it because it was david Tennant, not because it was yeah yeah, yeah. i figured don't worry <laughs> oh you like david Tennant? oh okay <laughs> yeah you never would have guessed that right <laughs> um and then she was on the american version of the office in its final seasons. Right. And that's really all I know her from. And then I see her do these random one-off things, usually still somehow related to David Tennant. Okay. <laughs> like they hosted the, so last year was Shakespeare's 400th birthday. Mm-hmm. And there was this big special and they hosted it. It's weird. They still do things together. I love that they still do things together because mm. they have such great chemistry together even outside of Doctor Who. But that's why it hurts my heart to hear you say, even though it's going well, Again, I have baggage. Um, I'll tell you what I did watch that was really funny. I watched the Time Crash mini episode where Peter Davison's Doctor gets pulled onto David Tennant's TARDIS. Have you seen this? I'm pretty sure I have, but I don't really remember it. Okay. It, 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 it's got quite a funny thing going on with it of them, you know, a bit of banter back and forth. Ah funny chaps um but then he has this whole earnest thing at the end with david tennant saying you were my doctor i like the cricket thing and the leak thing it was all good fun it's really funny because david tennant's married to peter davison's daughter yes yeah who was in the episode the doctor's daughter yes of course which you did not get to watch no i'm rolling my eyes just at the title and the the casting (laughs) (laughs) but i i do quite appreciate they actually did a comedy thing about it like Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. They get the joke. <laughs> okay, so you like some of the comedy, but other bits of the comedy make you groan and roll your eyes. Yeah, the comedy... Does it just kind of depend on how you're feeling that day? The, the comedy thing that was done for the charity event, yes, that was quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> okay, no, there, there is there is some good comedy in here. Do you want some specifics? Yes, I am always keen to know the things that you actually liked and thought were good about Doctor Who. John Hurt 
about the sonic screwdrivers. Oh, pointing again. There's screwdrivers. What are you going to do? Assemble a cabinet at them? <laughs> <laughs> Why are you holding them like weapons? They're scientific instruments. Not water pistols. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That was good. Yes, I like that. Fantastic. Yeah. There you go. So, episodes without the Doctor. I, I was doing a whole thing on companions. We've had a few episodes without the Doctor. Only only one, I think, in this in this set. But I do quite enjoy them to to see a little bit of either, uh, particularly where we saw with Turn Left, what would happen if the Doctor wasn't around, but also what happens to the people left behind. I think Turn Left kind of continued that, but then they brought Billy Piper back, and Billy Piper is basically the Doctor in that episode. No, she's not. She kind of is. She's basically standing in for him. My silence is me heavily disapproving with you. Okay. <laughs> disapproving with you, disapproving of you, and disagreeing with you. How about that? Okay, cool. That's all I've got to say. I mean, because I, I, I disagree, and so I just, I don't know if there's anything else to say about that. You okay. think one thing, I think another. But I, I did enjoy the story for seeing what would happen if the Doctor wasn't there to, to you know, solve some of these crises and deal with the situations, and then the, the dystopian future of what might happen and go on. And then moving into Stolen Earth and the, the quite nice ideas of building machines with lots of planets, that Hitchhiker's Guide idea or moving things around the galaxy. There was some good stuff in there. Um, I wanted to ask you, did Turn Left confuse you at all? I mean, because it, it leaned very heavily on past stories and adventures that we saw that you did not get to see through this process. Was their explanation good enough for you or were, were you confused at all? Uh, obviously I didn't get specifics, but I figured like, oh yeah, that's a thing the Doctor probably would have solved. Oh yeah, that's a thing the Doctor would have solved. Okay. Yeah. I mean, the the idea that the episode itself was very much, um, the episode Happy Birthday from Angel, where we mm-hmm. see what would have happened if Cordelia hadn't been there to support Angel. Right. So, so knowing that, okay, so it's very like that story, I can transfer some of that th- thinking over to it. Okay. Because I'm basically a computer. Um. Well, yeah. <laughs> One of the things that I noticed you talk about a lot in your notes was that some of these episodes felt like really good sci-fi stories and some of them felt like sci-fi stories that were written for people who don't like sci-fi. Yeah. Can you kind of explain the difference to me for what you mean there? Like, can you give me some examples? Ooh, examples. Uh, That's going to be harder. Um, There's a difference sometimes when they, they have an idea that they clearly think is a very clever idea. They spend a lot of time explaining it or going into the detail of it. And sometimes I feel like, yeah, we were all there 10 minutes ago. Thanks. Unicorn and the Wasp. I mean, it's got Wasp in the title. <laughs> like, we had a clue about what was coming. Especially when you right. tell us that the unicorn is a thief. Like, okay, there's not an actual unicorn in this episode. I'm disappointed, but fine, I'll move on. Um, <laughs> so, like, oh, it's a huge wasp. Okay, now deal with the huge wasp. They then spent a lot of time running around and trying to deal with what's the person trying to steal and people not believing about the wasp and, and so on. It just felt, we've got it. You could have written a better act three to this. Okay. Yeah. I, I don't disagree with you. It's it's not one of the stronger episodes. Okay. So so there's lots of episodes like that. And I think there is a purpose to them. I think they give us character. So they, they give us a lot of chance for people to have interactions and to show the development of the, the companions particularly and their understanding of this universe. To show us the relationship between the Doctor and the Companion and the sundry people they meet on each adventure. 
but I I quite enjoy when we get to see some interesting science fiction, something like, oh, that's quite a clever thing to do. So what's immediately jumped to mind is the massive ship going into the black hole in World Enough in Time and the Doctor Falls. Mm-hmm. That was quite a nice idea. And then taking it further with, you've got Cybermen who are moving at a faster pace than you are, so they're evolving faster. And you even see like better versions of the Cybermen as, as the episode goes on. Right. That was quite a nice idea and quite a nice way to do it, to start off with a minor threat becoming a bigger threat within the span of one episode. It didn't have to do what they did in Time of the Doctor, where they had to show it over a very long time. So you had to keep putting all the makeup on Matt Smith to show things moving on. Right. Hmm. Okay. Um, That makes sense. I I think the note you're particularly referring to is Heaven Sent, which is a, a Doctor Without Companions episode. And I really enjoyed it because it was a very good idea in the end. But it felt See, like they took a whole episode to get there where it could have been half an episode. See, and I really dislike that episode. Mm. Really dislike that episode. I, I don't really know why. I I think I don't appreciate the story they're trying to tell with that episode. Okay. But I also don't like... I'm trying to think of the way to, the way to word what it is about it I don't like. I think part of it is because it was punishment for the doctor who was a character that i love and so he spent four and a half billion years essentially being tortured and that's why i don't like it i mean no he didn't and that's part of my issue with it because there's this whole thing of like oh he's now huge as ages old he's not because he just recreated himself every time right so even if it takes him a few hundred years maybe to get to that point of trying to smash through the substance that's 400 times harder than diamond it's not the billions of years it's led to believe so so when we come into the next episode they seem to ignore that fact and be treating it as though all that time has passed for him for that iteration of the doctor correct all it did not he he was not alive for four and a half billion years but that cycle still took four and a half billion years you know and i don't know there's just something about it that my mind can't really do the mental gymnastics necessary to okay. really understand what they were trying to tell me. And so what I got out of it was we're punishing the doctor for four and a half billion years. And so I just, I didn't like the episode. Okay. But that doesn't really surprise me because you and I come to Dr. Who for very different things. The things that I like generally are not the things that you like and vice mm. versa. Yeah, because I think some of those, even if it's a fairly standard Monster of the Week invasion type episode, you really enjoy it if there is good interaction or good character stuff going on. Mm-hmm. I'm yes. thinking very specifically there with the Zygon inversion invasion episodes. Yeah. No? <laughs> no, no, no. I'm, I'm just remembering. Um, so Matthew and I were having a conversation the other day and Matthew asked me I don't understand why these episodes were on the list and it broke my heart you guys <laughs> it broke my heart because I think those are two of the very best episodes of Doctor Who that we've had in the new era and so it was hard for me to see why someone else wouldn't see that so now that you've brought them up why do they seem to be lesser episodes or kind of irrelevant episodes to you the species invading earth and trying to take it over or start a war on earth feels like a story we've seen a lot 
so I'm I'm watching it going, okay, the Doctor's going to solve this because he stopped the Daleks doing it, he stopped the Cybermen doing it, he stopped countless others doing it. Um, that dude from Love and Monsters, that was that was his end goal. <laughs> so it didn't feel like anything, and I'm I'm now, you can hear I'm stuttering a little bit because I'm thinking, is this a representation thing? I watched this wondering what the Doctor's going to face next and see what the Doctor's going to face up against. And the Doctor, his whole thing about everyone's uh, unique and, and talking to people, it doesn't resonate with me. But is that because I see myself represented in the Doctor? And we've talked previously about how representation matters in different things because he's always been some white guy. Right. Do you see what I'm saying? Does that make any sense? Is that ridiculous? Do we need to cut this whole bit out? No, it's not ridiculous. I'm just... You come at, at TV so very differently than I do that I'm not sure I entirely understand what you mean. I'm not watching Doctor Who to see what his interactions and relationships with his companions going to be. I'm watching it to see what he is going to encounter on his next adventure. I think you watch it and you're particularly interested in what are his companions going to learn, what are their interactions going to be, and, and their relationship with him. No, I no. particularly in later seasons, no, because of my issues with Clara. <laughs> I, I do. Don't you effing tell me I'm represented by Clara? I will burn this house down. <laughs> no, I mean I, I watch it for the Doctor and for the Doctor saving the day. Okay. And for hmm, the sentimentality of it all. When I've had conversations with myself in my head about Doctor Who as we've you know been building up to this conversation mm. the thing that I always come back to is that I like sentimentality and you don't yeah that's fair and so all of the things that I like about it do have some sort of sentimentality some sort of words that tug at your heartstrings things that are emotional those are the things that I go to Doctor Who for. That's why Love and Monsters meant nothing to me. That's why I don't like Clara, or I didn't like Clara um, for episodes that you don't get to see, you know? And, mm. and so for me, the, the Zygon Invasion and Inversion episode, they culminate in that, that speech of the Doctors mm. at the end where he's talking Kate and Bonnie down. You know, and trying to tell them that it's going to be okay. These things have happened, Zygella. They are facts. You just want cruelty to beget cruelty. You're not superior to people who were cruel to you. You're just a whole bunch of new cruel people. A whole bunch of new cruel people being cruel to some other people will end up being cruel to you. The only way anyone can live in peace as if they're prepared to forgive. And so the doctor is dropping all of these truth bombs on everybody. You know, and, and they're things that really resonated with me. His his words, his speeches, his his ability to use words as a weapon and to make you feel something, that's what I go to Doctor Who for. Right. And I got that out of these episodes. I got that out of all of those big episodes that we talked about last time that didn't do anything for you. You wanted to see more of the Doctor's nuances in the smaller episodes. And I think that's the difference is that I go for 
the big speeches, I go for wanting to have words change me versus watching the next adventure in space. Okay, got it. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't want it to seem like I'm saying I'm upsetted by the doctor, you're upsetted by a companion because, you know, greater and lesser and all that. I, I'm, I'm not, but also there is a thing that, like, it's never been a woman before. And you, you've talked about with Wonder Woman seeing uh, a woman who'd been told no, no, no again stand up and say yes and actually take positive action and come out well for that positive action meant a lot to you. So I, I, that is, for me, a good argument for why representation matters, the, the things you have said about it. Right. It's really interesting you making comment about, uh, I think you said words as weapons, because that's a direct quote from the Time Lords. Yes. We could talk to him. Words are his weapons. Why did they stop being ours? And I really like that. And that's, yeah, that's that's emblematic to me of the sort of thing I, I want from it. I, I, I talked a bit about Doctor Who on Jeb Butler's My President with Lani. And I said how this this is a show that sort of celebrates intellectualism and conscious thought and action overcoming war and savagery and cruelty and just general violence where other shows don't necessarily celebrate it but it does come down to who can hit the hardest so i like seeing doctor who where it is something about his capability and the capability of of the people around him that he chooses to surround himself with I, i enjoy seeing that but i don't want to see it if i've seen it time and time again so I've particularly enjoyed it when we've had good science fiction, a good good episode that introduces a, a new concept, something we've not thought of before or not seen. Uh, something like The Weeping Angels is leaping to my mind because that's a sort of alien I don't think has been introduced before. And he found a way to solve it by getting them all around the TARDIS, making the TARDIS this bit, and oh, okay, yeah, that actually completely defeats them. That's very cute. I'm smiling. You guys, you, you can't see smiles on on podcasts and i'm sorry but i'm smiling so that's my reaction to that and people who have seen doctor who will know why i'm smiling and not saying anything okay (laughs) honestly what, what keeps coming to my mind though is what makes it different from for example star trek i mean star trek is basically the same thing over and over again it's just a different alien species oh yeah like star trek built the planet of the week concept (laughs) <laughs> but Star Trek is your favorite. It's what you, you, you go back to it over and over again. So what makes that different? What makes that more enjoyable for you than the way Doctor Who does it? Star Trek generally does it first. Now, okay. I know there's probably 100 people out there shouting at their, their podcasting device. Phone, maybe? <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you're listening on to. Uh, listening to us on um i i have said how i found stuff in doctor who derivative of things i've seen elsewhere particularly at star trek now star trek's had hundreds of episodes as well so it's had an opportunity to do everything first and it doesn't always do everything either first or differently in every single time sometimes things in star trek are derivative of itself and that's frustrating as well but i like that star trek is more science fictiony sometimes than doctor who that it is the logical extension of natural stuff in the world. It doesn't okay. introduce elements of magic or time travel that sometimes we do or don't ignore the rules that we've set for ourselves. And okay. yeah, absolutely, Star Trek does do that as well. But <laughs> Right. No, I mean, it's fair. I, I totally get it because, I mean, for you, Star Trek is your Buffy, right? Yeah. And, and so, I mean, I get it. I understand when you love something, you love it. And that's just 
despite its flaws, despite everything else. And so it's hard to compare it to something else. And just because you like one thing doesn't mean you have to like this other similar thing. Um, it was just, that was where my mind went. Can I uh, throw in some comments from one of our listeners? Yes. That I, I Help explain it a bit for me. Okay. Doctor Who is very much a family show. Um, as, as I said before, I watched it when I was a child, and it is something you can watch with your uh, kind of preteen children. Some of it's a bit scary, some of it's a bit racing sometimes, but generally it's okay. Um, and our friend uh, Kate, Katie Shrew, talked about how she hadn't enjoyed the writing, particularly with Matt Smith, but then her son, who I think is about eight, has started watching it and become a really big fan. Um, and they've had to skip some episodes and fast forward episodes. But apparently there were moments where he's been watching it and gone, I've got no idea what's going on, but I love it. Oh, that's wonderful. And it, isn't it? It's just absolutely perfect. Yeah, sometimes the writing's not good and it's not great and it's not cohesive, but it, it does have an element of silliness and fun. It's a nice introduction into some of this stuff. Right. So when I've made comments about this is science fiction for people who don't know or like science fiction, th that is kind of it. It's making it accessible by giving it some of this kookiness that's not necessarily the most developed, but it is quite accessible. Okay. Talking about the writing, did you see any improvement in the writing or the writing style as we moved from, you know, Russell T. Davies to Stephen Moffat, as we transitioned from Eccleston to Tennant to Smith to Capaldi? Did you, did it all just remain kind of kooky and incohesive or did you see, did it get better for you? I, I didn't think I did. As I was watching it, but then as it got later and later, I started realizing, yeah, actually, this is, it is a little bit more mature, and it is paying a lot more respect to its own backstory, and incorporating things from the years. Things that I've gone, like, I, I have no idea what a Mondasian Cyberman is, like, <laughs> I thought they were just Cybermen, I didn't know there was a variant, but, okay, cool, it, it knows its thing. And our friend uh, Jan, at JLMO, said that... Uh, they've been watching Doctor Who with their daughter, and it's gotten way darker and not for kids in the Moffat years. Uh, I, as much as I have issues with Davies, I felt like he understood it more as a family show. And those last couple of episodes, World Enough and Time and uh, The Doctor Falls, yeah, there, there were some quite dark things in that. Like the Doctor racing around, blowing up Cybermen. Mm -hmm. And then some slightly more adult moments between the Master and Missy. <laughs> yeah, yes <laughs> I could definitely see a, a difference in there I don't think we had anything like that in those first few seasons no not at all even which is interesting because we talked about the darkness of the doctor in our last Doctor Who show mm, yeah. we spent a significant amount of time talking about the dark darkness of the doctor because Eccleston and Tennant both just had this quality about them and I feel like as the show has gone on, the darkness has been lifted from the character of the Doctor, but it's kind of evolved into mm. the show itself, mm. if that makes sense. I mean, on a different scale. I mean, it's not like the show is dark just because it thinks it murdered all of his people, you know, but it's it's evolved into – the word you used was mature, and, and I think <sighs> – I think this that's an interesting kind of juxtaposition between the two ideas. I saw um, 
Facebook is so wonderful and always shows us what we posted on this day in, in previous years. And so one of my Facebook memories this week. Can I, can I just pause you? I, I call that feature previously on Matthew. <laughs> <laughs> so, folks, yes. previously on Mandy. Previously on Mandy. I had a, a Facebook memory from 2014, uh, from this week in 2014. And it, it said, I definitely like Clara better now that she's with Capaldi. I really like him too. He brings a darkness to the role that I can't explain, but it's a nice change. And when I read that, I just started laughing because I remember having that thought. I remember thinking, wow, Capaldi's just so dark in this role. But going through the show this time and watching so quickly through Mm -hmm. Eccleston, Tennant, Smith, and Capaldi, it's not Capaldi who's dark because if you... When you look at the evolution of the character of the Doctor that we've seen, he started off really dark because he's coming in from the perspective of, I'm the last Time Lord because I just killed all my people, to at the end of Smith and Capaldi, he understands that he didn't kill all of his people. He's grown as a person, you know, he's got family and he loves people and he's got best friends, you know, so the Doctor himself is not darker. And what I was mistaking as the Doctor's darkness that I was seeing in Capaldi is really the darkness of the show, as you and Jan have both illustrated. And I just think that's so interesting because I didn't notice it watching the show live because there's so many pauses and it takes so long to get a new season of Doctor Who. (laughs) Now, I'm sorry, Sherlock fans. I know it takes you guys longer. But it takes so long to get a new episode of Doctor Who that when you're not watching it all at once, you don't see that. And so you just kind of think, well, the Doctor's dark. The Doctor's always been dark. But that's that's not true. And I thought that was just a really interesting thing for me to see this time around because it was a new perspective. Yeah, and definitely, like you were saying, with the introduction of Missy, someone who does just kill people, that's proper dark. And and when things have killed people before, they've been faceless, you know, mannequin aliens or horrible-looking aliens or Daleks who we can accept are very scary. Right, not somebody who looks like us. Yeah, who we're, we're supposed to actually like and empathize with, sympathize with, want to succeed. I'm, I'm, just, I'm having all these thoughts because this, this is not something that I had ever really thought about prior to this watch-through. Okay. So, I mean, this watch-through gave me all sorts of... new things to think about (laughs) and as much as I have been so pro David Tennant and pro Rose trying to like just hammer that into you that you need to like them because they're my favorite and they're the best (laughs) you know I was really surprised on this watch through at how much I really enjoyed everybody else because my memory is just David Tennant is my doctor and so everybody else is just kind of a byproduct but that's not true I really, really like my, Matt Smith. I really, really like Peter Capaldi. I like the evolution that the Doctor has taken. I like all of the new relationships that he's had. And yes, while David Tennant is still my Doctor and his relationship with Rose is always going to be the first thing I think about with fondness whenever I think about Doctor Who, it's not the end-all, be-all that I had previously thought it was. Okay. That's good. I, I'm actually really pleased because there's been a few where like we've watched a movie and I've taken a bit more away from it. But um, it is hard being the super fan to come in with 
seeing it slightly differently, so that's really nice. I'm pleased. Well, I'm glad. Yeah. Quick fire round then. I'm going to ask okay. you some of the questions from our listeners. Uh, at Gypsy Book Nerd, favorite companion, go. Okay, so it's always going to be Rose. <laughs> oh. it's all, it is, I'm sorry. I was hoping on the back of that conversation you'd be like, well, you know. No, it is always going to be Rose. But I will tell you that all of the other companions have been elevated in my mind on this rewatch. Um, previously, and I've had conversations with some of our listeners on Twitter about what order I would rank the companions. And without fail, every single time, Martha and Clara were at the very bottom. And I always put them there first and just kind of threw them away. And then I had to like, <laughs> fight with myself of, of where I put everybody else. Because I adore Donna and I adore Amy. And now that they've introduced Bill, who, oh my gosh, I adore her. Like, I, I can't. I can't rank them. I just, I can't do it. I love them all. But even now, Martha and Clara, they're not quite as great as everybody else. But they're certainly much better to me than they were in the past. I don't hate Clara this watch. And that might be because we didn't watch the episodes of hers that made me hate her in the first place. (laughs) But I quite like her with Capaldi. I like that she has her own life outside of the TARDIS. We never saw that with any of the other companions. They were always, once they left with the Doctor, they stayed with the Doctor until they weren't with him anymore or they died or or whatever. You know, Clara is a teacher. She goes off on adventures, but she comes home to her life. And, you know, she works with unit on her own when the doctor's not there. And so she is one of the most capable companions that he's had. And it hurts me to admit this because I have hated on (laughs) her for so long, but she's really not that bad. I mean, I'm not Damn sad. Her. <laughs> I'm not sad that they killed her. I had no emotional attachment at all. And I know you didn't get to watch the episode where she actually died. Yeah, I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> I mean, they referred to it in, in, in the episode that you watched. So, oh, in yeah, fact, yeah. I'm pretty sure they even showed it. I didn't, I knew that she wasn't going to be the companion anymore, but I didn't know they were going to kill her. Right. And so when they did kill her, it was a surprise to me. But I had no emotional reaction whatsoever. I didn't care. Okay. Because I had just always hated Clara. <laughs> and so I guess I just I dug into that and never got out of it until this rewatch when I got to understand that as a human being, she's great. You know, she's capable and she's independent Ooh. and she has her own agency and she is actually pretty great. She's not my favorite. She's never going to be my favorite. <laughs> But she's definitely way higher than she was before. And I know none of that answers the actual question that you asked me. <laughs> yeah, this quick fire round is going really quick. <laughs> I'm sorry. But I, just, I had all of these thoughts and feelings about the companions that are so different than what I'd had before. And it has honestly kind of blown my mind a little bit. We have a show over here called Blue Peter. It's a children's show about stuff. Ah. Oh. I can't even think of what to compare it to. It's It's got like three hosts at a time and it's all about making crafts, things going on in the world. People come on to show special skills or things they can do. It's about growing things in the garden, keeping pets and just being a good citizen. A show about how to exist in the world. And it's, it's, it's a very nice show. It's been going for a very, very long time. Clara is basically a Blue Peter presenter. I don't know what it is about her, but every time we see her, we're like, she basically should be presenting that show. Okay. 
I have no idea what that means. Okay. I need to try and find something about Blue Peter to send it to you. Okay. I hadn't even thought of how I was going to describe it, and I suddenly realized, as you could probably tell halfway through that, I have no idea how to describe the show Blue Peter. Blue Peter is a British children's television program uh, currently shown, so it's still airing. First aired in 1958. Goodness. It is a magazine entertainment show containing viewer and presenter challenges, as well as famous art and crafts makes. Okay. It sounds interesting. It's good. It's Yeah, it was a, a regular watch for everyone. And there's just something about her that she should be a Blue Peter presenter. Okay. So, question two. <laughs> um, if I'll you try had... to be quicker this time. No, no, it's fine. It's fine. It's all good fun. If you had to face a monster, which one would you face? Thank you very much. At Mitz Girl, Kimberly. Oh, wait, but you didn't tell us who your favorite companion was. Oh, I answered on Twitter and, and her question to me actually was, do you have a favorite companion? And it's, well, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> If I had to say on a quick round, it's probably Donna, but just because of the Dr. Donna moment. Okay. Yeah, I, there, I will there, accept that. There are a few bits in there that made me genuinely laugh, so. <laughs> okay. Uh, so which monster would I want to face? Um, I don't want to face any of them because I would die. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not clever, and I don't have the doctor on my side, so I would die. Um, hmm. Probably. Wow, I, I I should have read the outline more and have been prepared for this question. It is answer. a great question, isn't it? It is a really good question. I mean, I don't want to say the Cybermen. I don't want to say the Daleks because they, I mean, they would kill me. I don't want to face them. Like, I'm trying to think if any of the monsters that we've seen are something that I think I could defeat. <laughs> Honestly, the answer is likely no. So my favorite monster, of course, is the Weeping Angels. So I'll go with that one, but they would kill me. Yeah, that's what I said, because they're, they're, you'd have an interesting adventure with them. That is true, because the way they kill you is they send you in the past and you still get to live out your life. It's just not yeah. the life you were supposed to have. Mm. So at least I wouldn't die right away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll go with that. I, I also said for an interesting adventure, the master. Particularly oh, when he had see. superpowers. Suddenly the master comes back and he's got superpowers. After <laughs> after some witches boiled him in a, a a cauldron. That was a particularly weird opening. That was more like Buffy than anything. Yeah, that episode was weird. It, it kind of completely disregarded all of the rules of the universe that we had previously been shown. Yeah. And it really did kind of introduce an element of magic yeah. that we didn't, haven't really seen since either. The whole thing was a bit strange. Yeah. And finally, uh, two questions from Dr. Kelly Jones. Uh, what has been your favorite episode so far and who is your favorite minor character? Uh, my favorite episodes are The Stolen Earth and Journey's End because of the sentimentality of it all. I love, love, love all of them love around the TARDIS. Yes. Yeah. I love all of them being back together. I mean, even Jackie and Mickey, I love it. Um, it makes my heart sing when I watch those episodes and they will always be my favorite episodes. Um, to answer a question that she didn't ask though, my favorite story arc is one you haven't seen yet. It is the river arc, right? Uh, which we will talk about next month. Okay. Which is interesting because that's not a David Tennant arc at all. And yet yes. 
if I ever talk about my favorite, my favorite season of Doctor Who is season six, which is a Matt Smith season and not a David Tennant season. And it still surprises me every time I say that, but it's just true. That's fair. You love Hush, but you don't like season four with Buffy. Very true. Ooh, Very true. Deep stuff going on here. Favorite minor character? Osgood. Okay. That's fair. How about you? She, she is you, so. <laughs> like, kind of, I yeah, right? I don't walk around wearing outfits that the Doctor has worn in the past. No, you've just got bits of him tattooed on you. <laughs> so. And I do stalk David Tennant and have my picture taken with him every year this year in a Doctor Who inspired dress. So. Yeah. yeah, okay, that, I'm, I'm basically Osgood. But your granny thought that you were dating David Tennant, which yeah. I love her. She's awesome. She can stay. <laughs> yes, yes, that was amazing. Favorite episode so far? Um, It's probably The Witch is Familiar. Really? Yeah. Okay. Um. I really enjoyed the dissonance where they've got the, the whole thing of like Davros crying and like us supposed to supposed to emote and feel sorry for him and him bonding with the doctor and all this. And I'm, I'm, I'm like, my notes are very much like they, they have not earned this at all. This is, this is bad writing, making us do go through this. I, I don't know. This is not allowed. This is not allowed. Oh, it's a trick. Oh, that's fine. It's okay. Okay, so you weren't fooled. No. Like, okay, watching I- it, I was like, if they, if that was the thing they were going with, I was watching it going, no, they should not be allowed to do this. They have not written this well enough to make me feel like, ah, oh, Davos is dying and we're now supposed to feel sad for him. Ah. <laughs> well, okay, I don't think I ever felt sorry for Davos. I felt sorry for the doctor. But I, I was tricked. Okay. I genuinely believed that... Davros was being sincere. Right. And even up to... So I recently rewatched those episodes with my mom because I was finally getting her to watch season nine. Mm. And when I rewatched it with her, which is, what what are we, like two, three years after it originally (laughs) aired, I had forgotten that it was a trick. And so it got me again. And then I was like, oh, yeah. So this time I remembered. But it does. It gets me every time. And I think it's because... I am going through these episodes kind of through the eyes of the doctor a little bit, and the doctor believed it, which is why I did. Okay. But we also recently realized that when it comes to Doctor Who, I'm very gullible. <laughs> so you, you you absolutely emote with what's going on at that moment. So I do. Uh, I do. Okay. Yeah. So favorite minor character? It, it's yeah, it's Missy. Easy. Admittedly, I've not seen much of River yet, so that is liable to change, but. I also wouldn't call River a minor character. She wouldn't have been one that I would have even thought I could choose. I mean, okay. obviously, I can choose any character, but <laughs> you know what I mean. Yeah. I do love River, though. But Osgood is me, and I am and I am Osgood, yeah. Nice. Missy is my favorite minor character, and very much like she and, and John Sim as well, both performances I've absolutely adored through it. Um, John Sim, clearly the beginning of End of Times Part 2, had a really good day dressing up as different characters and like doing something in front of a green screen. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. yeah. They just had this rack of like military outfit, dress, President Obama outfit. (laughs) Go and wear all this stuff. (laughs) And Michelle Gomez, as as I say, I, I have really enjoyed her kookiness because it's been written in a way that it's just part of what she does. So I've I, I've 
yeah, I've laughed when she's come on and done stuff. I've laughed at the funny accent she does because she's so good at it. And because she's got a lot of physicality to what she does. I've really enjoyed that. That's, uh, you know, coming in and spinning and flailing at people and gesticulating all over the shop. It works for me. I did notice that you quoted her a lot in your notes. Yeah. Yeah. Her lines, her lines make me laugh. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm having a look at my, my list of things that I've thought was a favourite. Billy Piper has never been as good in this as she was at the moment. Ad- admittedly, she had this husky thing going on. Why, Doctor? I'm something from your past or your future. Right. <laughs> Why do we run around in crowds? Because we want to. How do you do? <laughs> <laughs> she was definitely really good. I was disappointed at mm. first. Because I knew she was going to be in it. I did not know she was not going to be Rose until I was sitting in the theater watching it. And so and my initial emotion reaction was, this is terrible because it's not Rose. Why is it not Rose? <laughs> but Billy Piper is a really good actress. Mm-hmm. And she, I mean, she had some physical comedy. She had like some... The timing of her delivery of some of what she was saying to John Hurt was incredible. No more. No more. No more. No more. Stop it. No more. No more. And it was great. It really was great. And I can't imagine it being anybody else other than Billy Piper. Yeah. And the writing for her introduction... Uh, he picks up the box. He says, oh, the interface is hot. And she just gives a, well, I do my best. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's very nice. And Billy Piper was looking quite good in her, you know, messed up hair and raggedy clothes. Yeah. It's pretty good. I, I want to move away from some of the the obvious things, the, the larger performances and so on. The, the writing in Day of the Doctor in general is very good. They were clearly planning that for quite a long time and deciding what to do with it. Um, the the use of time travel for the, the hiding in the painting, phoning the guy that we saw the phone call earlier to move the painting. I, I love that stuff in a time travel story where there's stuff like, okay, we're going to understand what's going on a bit later. Mm-hmm. And then the solution to the uh, David Tennant element of the story, the, the Zygon thing with with them turning on the memory device <laughs> so that they could have a really good peace treaty that was a very nice resolution to the story i mentioned a couple of minutes ago how the witch is familiar is uh probably the best episode we've seen and a lot of that might be to do with clara in the dalek the whole piece with her in the dalek and missy saying like say your name <laughs> and then the just just say these exact words just say i love you say I love you. Those exact words be why I just say it. I love you. Exterminate. <laughs> say, you are different from me. You are different Exterminate. from me. Exterminate. And us finding out how that comes out of a Dalek and understanding what we've heard from the Dalek over all these 50 years is different potentially from what they've been saying and how it translates. I, I almost wish that was a larger piece of another episode with us gaining that understanding rather than almost a jokey bit of this one episode. Right. Part of me feels like that's a little bit of a retcon. Yeah. Because it, it indicates that the 
the danger of the Dalek is in the case and not the Dalek itself. It's in the armor. Because mm. the, the Dalek suit is essentially armor, and the Dalek is the creepy little tentacle head thing that's in it, right? Yeah. And so this episode kind of makes it seem like all of the things that make the Dalek so dangerous are coming from the armor. And I'm not sure how I feel about that. I mean, in in the moment, it's fine. And in that episode, it makes perfect sense. But just looking at the universe of Doctor Who, mm-hmm. it feels like a retcon. And I'm just not sure how I feel about that. And, and I think that's exactly what I mean. This has a lot of scope for being a much better story built around that one idea. That when you're in a Dalek suit, what you want to happen is potentially different than what is actually happening. And it could be expanded something much better. In here, it's used for a bit of comedy and then a bit of tension at the end of the episode. There was definitely some tension at the end of that episode. Uh, more, Yes, that's true. There was more than enough. It was quite yeah. a nice moment. And then it kept going on. And then it kept going on. And it's like, can he just work it out now? <laughs> there are no Daleks who stand in front of you going, I am Dalek. 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 What does it mean to be a Dalek? Because I am Dalek. Okay. There was a point in there where I was like, okay, the Doctor would have worked this out by now. <laughs> okay. But, he, but even that, I loved it that when we find out it's clever, and Missy's just like, oh, look at that. <laughs> Isn't that a surprise? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Missy, I love to hate her. <laughs> Do you know where we are, though, Mandy? Where are we? We're at the bit of the episode of our podcast show where you get to talk about the things you've loved about Doctor Who. What have been your favourite things about these episodes? Go. <laughs> Unleash both barrels of your sonic shotgun. Uh, well, I mean, I've already gushed about a lot of it. Um, the sentimentality of the stolen earth and journey's end and just having everybody all together and having all of the companions have their happy ending. I lo- well, except for Donna. I loved it. Loved it. Um, the Zygon inversion speech, one of my very favorite things. Part of that is because that speech was when Peter Capaldi finally became recognizable to me as my doctor. And when this war is over, when when you have a homeland free from humans, what do you think it's going to be like? Do you know? Have you thought about it? Have you given it any consideration? Because you're very close to getting what you want. What's it going to be like? Paint me a picture. Are you going to live in houses? Do you want people to go to work? Will there be holidays? Oh, will there be music? Do you think people will be allowed to play violins? Who's going to make the violins? Well, oh, you don't actually know, do you? Because, like every other tantruming child in history, Bonnie, you don't actually know what you want. So let me ask you a question about this brave new world of yours. When you've killed all the bad guys, And when it's all perfect and just and fair, when you have finally got it exactly the way you want it, what are you going to do with the people like you? The troublemakers. How are you going to protect your glorious revolution from the next one? Mm. It it took a while for him to get there. And now that that he is, like when I go back and, and watch the earlier stuff, he just is the doctor. But it took me a little while to get there, just like it did with Matt Smith. Wilfred is my second favorite minor character. I adore him. The antlers that he wears at Christmas, I have those exact same antlers, and I wear them every Christmas. Right. 
<laughs> you know, I just, I, I love his faith in the doctor. I love his, his willingness to sacrifice his own life for the doctor, even though obviously that's not what ends up happening. I just love everything about him. He is a crazy old man who is awesome. And you only saw a little bit of him, but I hope it was enough to make you appreciate him. Maybe? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah, he was a companion who didn't fall in love with the Doctor. Oh, no, wait, he kind of fell in love with the Doctor. Oh, no. Not in a romantic way. Uh, No. mm. No. There was some tension there. No. No. Um, one of the episodes that I added to this list after we had talked about, you know, adding some episode episodes that were mm. not big ones was the rings of Akatan. And I honestly should have had it on there from the beginning because my, my Dr. Who tattoo comes from this episode and rewatching it again this time. I was tweeting about it the whole time I was watching it. I I kept posting screen grabs from the episode and, you know, images of the doctor's speeches and everything that he was saying just because everything in this episode was really good. Uh, My favorite bit is obviously the part that I permanently tattooed on my body, (laughs) (laughs) Um, which are the words, you are unique in the universe, which is what... Doctor, the doctor says to the little girl, but the the whole thing, you know, his speech to the the sun god and how he had all of these memories and he was willing to let this guy take all of it so that he could protect the people. You know, it was just it was amazing, and that is who the doctor is to me. The doctor is the man who says. It is defended. You know, he is the man who will sacrifice himself to save other people. And so any episode where he does that is going to be one that I absolutely love. But that's the one that I picked to tattoo. So it had to go on the list. Nice. And because I'm trying not to take up all of the time, I'm going to limit my list at that. But there's so much, so (laughs) much, so much good. There are stories that I've not seen that I would be interested in knowing more about. I've tried not to Google, and there have been times when I've like, oh, what's that thing they referenced? Oh, no, I shouldn't I shouldn't read that, no. Will I get to see any more explanation of, like, Clara's origins? Because there's the whole thing about how she's an impossible girl. And I know there are, I, I, I know a good amount about her first episode. So I feel like there's more to see with her. Is, is any of that on the list? No. Okay, good. We're done with Clara. Um, will I see any more of that? The, you talked about the original Missy episodes and her original arc. Will I see any more of that? Nope. Okay. I'd like we'll, we'll see more of her in future because clearly she's not dead. Or the Master will come back and she'll regenerate into something else. <laughs> like, John Sim was brought back in a cauldron. They found a way to bring him back. So <laughs> Andy was on Gallifrey and they still found a way to bring him back. And those, you know, you're not wrong. So th- those last episodes, he looked so much like the original master, like the way they'd done his eye makeup and his beard. Right. Like they were probably channeling a look there, and it almost made me wonder: Are they going to try and feed it that he becomes that original master and he then becomes Missy? But clearly not. The the fairs you've said, I'm going to see more about the fairs. You will. Right. Um, 
And in The End of Times, there was a woman who kept appearing to Wilfred, who was then yes. one of the dissenting Time Lords, mm-hmm. who stood like she was a weeping angel. Will we get any explanation of who she is? No, not in the show itself. Uh, Russell T. Davies has said some things about her, but um, it was not explicitly in the show, in the episode. We don't, that's the only episode she's in. So there's this whole thing in the episode about, like, she's clearly important, but it's never explained who she is. In, in, if you watch Doctor Who. Correct. Jeez. Correct. That's weird. Russell T. Davies had to say what his intention was for people to understand it. Um, and so in my mind, it's not canon. But Russell T. Davies' intention was that that woman was the doctor's mother. Right. And, and that's the, the most obvious thing with it, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but it was just... But it's not canon either, because there's speculation in previous episodes, like even in Classic Who, and in like Capaldi episodes that the doctor is potentially half human. Yes, yeah. Well, yeah, the, the 96 uh, special, he says I'm half human. Right. Yeah. So it, I don't know. Like, it's it's definitely not canon, but that's what Russell T. Davis was going for with that episode. Okay. And then just one more question about the stuff that's coming up. We we watched, and we've not really talked about the, the Silence in the Library and the Forest of the Dead duology. Uh, we watched them in this sequence. Why were they in this sequence rather than in Kept for the River sequence? What was your thinking there? Because that was more of a Dr. Donna story than a River story. Okay. That's a season four episode. And then... River never comes back until the end of season five. And so for anybody who was watching this for the first time would never even know that River is really important. I mean, you kind of get the, the, the feeling because mm. she does kind of explain well, she's got the diary and the screwdriver. And yeah, you get the impression that she does eventually become a very important part of his life. But you don't have a sense that you're going to see her again, you mm. know. Because from our perspective, she just died. And and so that that's why, for me, it was more important to see it in the Donna arc. Okay. And to see it as part of Tenant's run than to hold on to it. Uh, and when it first aired, do you know anything about... Was there any build-up that this important character was introduced here? Or was it just someone that we had in there? I honestly don't know. Yeah. It's interesting because... Those episodes started during Russell T. Davies' run, mm. but River's story is all Stephen Moffat. Okay. And and so it's – I don't – I mean, Stephen Moffat wrote those episodes, obviously, so he mm. knew what he wanted to happen in the future. But I don't know that it was ever intended to to be as big a story as it ended up being. Okay. At least at the time. I'm speculating because I don't know. I, I was not watching Doctor Who yet at the time okay. this originally aired. Because uh, we we talked about the start of this whole project, how um, I, I'm intrigued by the the writing of River and the, the idea of writing a a non chronological story from both perspectives or both main characters, mm-hmm. um, and just her introduction here I was like, oh, okay, this is cool. This is the first time they made. That's really interesting. But then for this to be the last time she meets him, but the first time he meets her. Mm-hmm. Like, that's incredible. That is really good writing. Oh, it really is. And it makes me really excited for what's coming next. Like, okay, that's... If it can maintain this sort of quality, awesome. I don't think it will, just to set some expectations. Um, but yeah, that's... It's so clever. I'm really glad to hear that you liked those episodes. Mm. And I think it helps a lot that River is an interesting character as well. I liked 
uh, her moment with the doctor, where the, the doctor does this whole thing of like, "Oh, you're just going to let us all die because of your pride," and she's like, "Well, okay, why don't you sign this contract then?" And she calls him out on his stuff. Like, great. I, I think several times I've said what we need is a companion who does not put up with his guff and will call him out and will be slightly belligerent towards him. And she's not quite belligerent, but she is very much, she is prepared to talk back to him. I cannot wait for you to watch the River Song arc. Mm, I'm looking forward to it. I actually can't wait to watch it myself because it's one of my favorites. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. Um, but actually, that reminds me of something. Uh, something you wrote in your notes. Mm-hmm. Let me go back and find it. Hold oh, on. yes. I know what you want to say about her origin. Yes. One mm. of your notes for um, the time of the doctor, actually, was I might have been wrong about River's origin. So mm. what do you, what did you think her origin was and what was it that made you think you were wrong? Well, I, I, I don't know if I'm wrong or not. I thought she had something to do with Amy and Rip Hunter. His name is Rory. Rory, thank you. The dude from Legends of the of the <laughs> What are they? Legends of Tomorrow? Legends of Tomorrow, yes. Where he's basically playing the doctor? Yes. That one, yeah. Um He's better as Rory. I Which you don't know yet because you've only seen him once, but I thought she was like their daughter or something to do with them, which again I might not be right or wrong on either way. So who knows? And there was a bit in Time of the Doctor where they talk about... I I can't remember what the line is. And I kind of don't want to look it up because I know that I'm going to dwell on it. it it's almost the equivalent of me watching a trailer. Um, but there was a line about someone was engineered to come and be able to take you out or fight you at your own game or something. And I think there's a shot of River or some, some implication that's River. Okay. So. Okay. We'll find out next time. Mm. And I also knew that the creature was the silence because just cultural osmosis. Like, you learn this stuff. I've seen enough okay. people make jokes about, like, what's that alien? What alien? Ha. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Fair <laughs> enough. Well, I don't. I just don't know what you might have picked up and what you haven't. Because yeah. I mean, look at me. I pick up random things, and then I don't pick up like super important things. So. <laughs> <laughs> One thing that I did not mention. And my favorite lines is a line that John Hurt had in The Day of the Doctor. And so I just wanted to circle back around to that because I would hate to not mention it. Mm -hmm. Uh, John Hurt says, great men are forged in fire. It is the privilege of lesser men to light the flame. I love that quote. In fact, I have it framed and hanging on my living room wall. That is better writing than Doctor Who, I think, has possibly ever demonstrated. I don't believe that was Stephen Moffat. Okay. It's possible. the The whole special, the whole fiftieth anniversary special, was elevated. The quality yeah. was elevated. The special yeah. effects were elevated. The cinematography was elevated. The writing was elevated. Like it was done as a feature film production. Honestly, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, they put that much time and effort into it, and and so I can see that they probably did have some people wordsmithing it because yeah. that. That is something that's a little bit different than what you would expect but from a good one-liner in The Doctor. Not, not even people wordsmithing it. That feels like Terry Pratchett, Neil Gaiman, Philip Pullman, Ewan Colfer. It's, it's someone of that quality writing. I, I'll tell you what we didn't mention, which I said we were going to mention, the Doctor Donna. Oh, the Doctor Donna. And that bit. I love the Doctor Donna and I hate the Doctor Donna. What? 
made me genuinely laugh was first of all, I mean, the the whole thing with him regenerating into himself and then the hand becoming a thing is heavily contrived. <laughs> I think I even knew it was coming, which might be part of the problem. But then for her to be regenerating a little bit into a doctor, into a time lord, is a bit okay. But then for her and David Tennant to stand, look at each other, going, "Oi, oi, oi!" Oi, what's it, Earth girl? <laughs> That, that made me laugh. Him doing slight impressions of her. Yeah. But then for it to end up with her doing full impressions with him, that was very good. I mean, she has to do a huge amount of, you know, sci-fi exposition-y, babble stuff. Oh, closing all Z neutrino relay loops using an internalized synchronous back feed reversal loop. That button there. But then that clo- the closing shot of all of them driving the TARDIS. Isn't it lovely? All the companions together, everyone's driving it. But she walks past John Barrowman and she's like... I think you're doing that best, Jack. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> That's nice. Yeah. Yeah, that is really nice. Something else that always su- surprises me whenever I watch Journey's End is there's one of the screen grabs that you'll often see on like Tumblr or Twitter or whatever are the doctor and Donna having a conversation where the doctor is telling Donna how special she is. And Donna keeps saying, no, no, no. And the doctor says, oh, you really don't believe that, do you? And in my memory, that's always been the real doctor saying that to her. And then every time I watch Journey's End, it surprises me that it's the human doctor and not the real doctor. I mean, they're kind of all the same, but it's still, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's not the real doctor. But that's one of my very favorite things because it's just unfathomable to him that she would actually not believe that she's special and i really like that because he thinks she is yeah he's finally sort of worked it out and and the whole thing about her being the most important person in the world yes it it pays her her due particularly for someone who wasn't in love with him that there was no reason for there to be that level of emotion between them or that level of respect well she was his best friend yeah and and like i said i much prefer that as writing than uh, they they fall in love with him because he's so charming and kooky and funny. All right. Is there anything else that we haven't talked about that we should talk about? There's a lot that we didn't talk about, but if we talked <laughs> about it at all, this would be like a 20-hour-long podcast. Yeah, we've watched a lot of Doctor Who for this, um, and we've got lots of River Song to come, and then I think Christmas special with Warder Frey as William Hartnell. Character whose name I can't remember. Actor whose name I can't remember. Sorry. David Bradley. David Bradley, there we go. I wanted to say David Harewood, but that's the Martian Manhunter, so it's probably not him. (laughs) Yeah, but I mean, obviously the the Christmas special is going to be outside the scope of of this podcast, because we will be done before the Christmas special comes out. So we will finish up with River Song's arc next month. Mm. We did have quite a lot of feedback from you guys for our last Doctor Who episode, so I wanted to give a shout out to some of you guys who you know, reached out to us. Jen at IU Girl Jen on Twitter. She said, I have never talked back to a podcast so much as while listening to Matthew Vos talk about David Tennant. How dare you, sir? And I just have to applaud her. Because David Tennant's awful. He's awful. <laughs> He's terrible. Come at me, Jen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying that because there's an ocean between us, so we're okay. Yes, very much so. Very much so. Um, Jazzy at Jawsbot7 uh, said, Just the best. I'm gullible and a sucker, so I believe it. How I love you, Mandy Kay. I'm still gullible and a sucker, so I'm glad you still love me, Jazzy. <laughs> I, 
I can't remember what you were gullible over. Um, Rose, All of it? No, Rose almost dying. Okay. Because I thought she was going to die, and she didn't. Okay. Uh, Kate at I Do Human Things said, So clearly, in order for Matthew to get the true nuance of the Doctor, you will need to do an episode-by-episode podcast called Who Point. Also, while Tennant's Doctor is defo a cocky showboat, I try to think of it as childlike wonderment rather than look what I can do. And I really appreciate that perspective. Now, towards the end of Matt Smith and Peter Capaldi, I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll go and watch some Clara, I'll go and watch some Missy, I'll go and watch you know more of Bill and understand more. And, and maybe, yeah, maybe an episode by episode Doctor Who would be quite interesting. But then I remember I'd have to watch a lot of David Tennant. <sighs> And, and Russell T. Davies writing and stuff. <laughs> okay, that's fair. Um, I will say, I would encourage you to watch all of season 10 because that was the, the season with Bill. That is the first season where I have liked the companion from the moment she was introduced. I fell in love with Bill right away and I adored her and I never did not like her throughout the whole season. And it's the first episode or sorry, the first season where, in my humble opinion, there was not a single bad episode. Oh, interesting. Everything was really top-notch. All of the stories were great. Now, granted, considering I go to Doctor Who for different things than you do, you may disagree with me on that, but I just thought it was really spectacular writing the whole way through, and it was great. I was pleasantly surprised by Matt Lucas. Because he's a, another person who his comedy can be quite flamboyant and a, a tad annoying at times. But he's downplayed a lot of it. It was only at the very end of The Doctor Falls when he was doing stuff on his own that I was a bit... Uh, I'm not quite sure I'm enjoying this. But everything else with him, yeah, I quite liked it. You will see him again. In fact, okay. you will see his origin. Okay. Sort of. Okay. Sort of. Spoilers. Sort of origin. Spoilers, but... sweetie. <laughs> well, I just <laughs> I realized when I was... Uh, when we were going through these episodes that for you Nardal just appeared like you had never seen mm. him before and for us we had seen Matt Lucas before and so okay. it made sense um but you seem to just be like okay it's a random robot guy played by Matt Lucas so yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I did enjoy the Paternoster crew I I would quite enjoy a spin-off with them there was a lot of good writing for them in in again a very ordinary Doctor Who episode but the alien dude was very funny Strax? Strax. Strax. Where he was like, we shall bring him back here and dissolve him in acid. No. We shall bring him back here and not dissolve him in acid. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, they're all really great. Yeah, I would have had more of their their episodes on the list, but the list was already too long. I mean, they're only in a handful. Okay. And a couple of folks had asked if I had put the episode on the list where we first are introduced to the lizard people like mm. Madame Vastra. And in retrospect, I kind of wish I had, but Wh- only because I want you to watch. I don't remember. It's a season five episode, the cold Ooh. earth, I think. No. Have you seen it? Oh no, no, that's Matt Smith. Okay. Maybe I'll watch it. Yeah, no, it's Matt Smith. <laughs> it's, it's with, it's an Amy and Rory story with Matt. Smith. Uh, the hungry earth and cold blood. Yes. Okay. Yeah, it, it is a two-parter, yeah. um, but it's very interesting. Okay. It's interesting. Maybe I'll note it for future. 
And our final bit of listener feedback comes from Nessa, at Cranky Dragon. And she said, hey, Mandy Kay, listening to PCD on Doctor Who, I can't stand Eccleston. He makes me want to beat up grass. I heart 10, but yeah, he can be a dick. He learned it from watching Hartnell. Holy TARDIS, the first Doctor was an ass. Amazing Guardians reference in there. I love it. Oh, I didn't get it. (laughs) That's what Rocket does. He's so annoyed he beats up grass. Grass. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, okay. I I found this interesting because I, I don't think I've ever met anybody who can't stand Eggleston. But I can certainly appreciate the sentiment. It will be interesting watching this coming Christmas special with um, someone playing the first Doctor, but that character coming back in, will be uh, it should be quite interesting. I'm really excited about it. Mm. I did watch the very, very first Doctor Who story, uh, The Unearthly Child. Oh, really? It's been a while, so I don't really remember what oh, happens. Okay, okay. But So I have seen William Hartnell as the Doctor, and so I'm really excited to see... Um, <laughs> Filch played the doctor. <laughs> was he Filch as well? Yes. Wow, okay. Because I, I know what comes to mind is obviously Walter Frey from Game of Thrones. He, he's Walter Frey and he's also um, uh, Filch okay. from, from Harry Potter. So okay. I'm really looking forward to seeing him as the doctor. Mm. It's going to be great. Okay. Well, there are so many ways that you can get in touch with us if you want to. You can give us your comments on this or any other movie or TV show we've discussed using the hashtag PCDeprived on Twitter. You can also find us on Facebook and now Instagram at EloquentGushing. You can find each of us on Twitter. I'm at Mandy Kay. And I'm at Matthew Vos. We are completely 100% funded by listeners like you through our Patreon page. Uh, please visit us, patreon.com slash eloquentgushing, to find out more, help support the network, help us develop new shows. And remember, if you want to keep up to date with the latest news and announcements, we have a weekly newsletter that announces upcoming shows, polls, and general things that are going on. You can subscribe to it uh, by going to eloquentgushing.com. And we'll be back next week with another episode of Pop Culturally Deprived, where we'll talk about some kind of wonderful with Elsie Escobar of She Podcast and Libsyn's The Feed. Until next time, I'm Mandy Kay. And I'm Doctor Who. These are my disposables, exposition and comic relief. Culturally Deprived is an Eloquent Gushing production. For more information, visit eloquentgushing.com or find us on Twitter at Eloquent Gushing.